Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Tonight, for your quintessential listening poetry pleasure, I would like to welcome Vincent J. Cologne to the program. The philosophy behind Vincent's poetry is based on the new formalist school of thought. He studied under Louis Turco, who wrote the book, New Book of Poetic Forms for New England Press. Although Vincent wears many hats, whether it be as a playwright, an actor, or director, his message remains the same. Why do we do what we do? How do we change it? And how can we learn, grow, and evolve? He's published numerous poems, actively participated in poetry events such as Spofast and Flash Mob Poetry, and every day since August 1st, 2022, he has written a new poem based on Raven Wire poetry prompts, and he's also a proud member of the writing collective at Breda Agency. Vincent, Vincenzo, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate you and uh, uh, Quintessential Listening Poetry Online for, for having me and the, and the time that you're going to spend with me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to. I'm quite pleased that you're here. Let's begin our poetic journey together. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Vincenzo, what is poetry? Uh, so to me, it's a hard question to answer. Simply. But to me, poetry is the economy of words. To use as few words as I need to tell my story. I have a short attention span. Okay. (laughs) I I like to wrap it up in in about a page or so. So to me, poetry in the poem is like a picture or a photo or a painting. It exists in the physical form, but it has another life in its interpreted form. So that's the magic to me. What is the poem? How does it make you feel? What does it make you think about? Does it give you a warm feeling? Does it fill you with rage? Does it make you think? Does it move you? That's what poetry is to me. Very nice. I like that. You sound like a director, an actor, playwright, the way you phrase that. Very, very nice. So why do we do then what we do in terms of poetry? Why is it generally important? What do you think? Well, Good poetry is is like good storytelling. Good storytelling in a poem or a book or a movie can influence people. So there within is the potential to change the balance of power with the turn of a phrase or a spin of a rhyme. Poetry is everywhere in speech writing, to ad copy, to nursery rhyme, to your top 40 station. It's in the morning prayers and the evening laments. From happy birthday to roadside work songs, you can't escape it. It's everywhere. Poetry exists in nature already. The poets are merely the farmers or the shepherds who raise the crop and tend to the herd. Wow. That was (laughs) truly nicely stated. 
Vincenzo, oh man, we did gonna I have a good time tonight. Yes, you did. <laughs> you really did. It doesn't take much, but you well, really, you really, I really feel strong about one. it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. As you think about writing your work, what are some of the predominant things, my friend? What are you writing? Uh, nature, mm-hmm. the garden, planting, growing, harvesting. The barren season, planning, and then I write man versus nature, man versus man, man versus himself. And when I say man, I mean woman, man. Yes. Um, I like to visit these areas in in a satirical sort of way. Mm -hmm. Much of my poetry is centered around some form of these three tropes in one way or another. Birth, rebirth, hope, God, lack of God, what is life? Why? These are all themes that I like to take a stab at. Mm-hmm. People, people also say I have a propensity to write about things that they're thinking about or are felt in a simple and direct way so like a fifth grader could understand them. Mm-hmm. So I write every poem so a fifth grader or a sixth grader could pick it up and, and read it and understand it. Very nice. Very nice. Please share a poem. Sure. So... I'm going to share a poem with you. This is one of the poems that I wrote. <clears throat> I wrote it on day one, 110, November 20th, for RavenWirePoetryPrompts.com. And the writing prompt was, write about looking down at yourself from someone else's perspective. The prompt was, write about looking down at yourself from someone else's perspective. So I'll read the poem. And then I'll let you see if you can guess who or what the uh, party is who's looking down at me. The name of the poem is called To Err to is Human or To Air is Human. Look at them upon the earth, getting born and giving birth, burying truth inside stats, arguing like dogs and cats. Vanity is their main concern, printing money just to burn, Building walls and shopping malls, hanging up when hunger calls. What a silly race, what a sad planet, a wasteland of silicone and granite. They name rivers, mountains, and oceans, clear-cut forests just to make hand lotions. They'll strip a mountain to make a new car, turn to the heavens and wish upon a star. An indelible rut their wagon wheels carve. They have plenty of food. Yet their people still starve. No, this is not a place for us to settle. They've already used up their war and their metal. They had a utopia, and then they turned it sour when they gilded the calf and erected the tower. And a calf made of gold feeds only greed. They focused on want and forgot about need. Before we disembark, should we plant the seed? No. Do not. The humans in waste and haste will think it a weed, rip it from the soil like everything else, or place it in a vase and put it on a shelf. We're sorry we left you. Now is not your time. To err is human. To forgive is divine. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. That's either Elon Musk 
or Moses. <laughs> to write about someone looking down at yourself, write, write about yourself from someone mm-hmm. else's perspective. Yes. The perspective that I was thinking of was a Martian or an oh, alien looking, <laughs> looking down at us and saying <laughs> sort of like those old uh, Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, now, now how was I supposed to get a Martian? <laughs> well, it was some sort of figure. It was, a, it was a celestial being. Okay. All right. All could right. have been I a Martian. Could have, been, could have been somebody else. All right. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Now, when you think about writing a poem, my friend, how does the poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? Uh that's a great question. So I'm going to borrow, uh, I heard uh, when you had T.A. Niles on, yes. he said that he's an impressionist, right? Or yes. an expressionist. An expressionist, right? Expressionist. Yes. I, I love that term. So to answer your question, he said uh, when you had him on that he thinks about things, he mulls them over, and then the images start to rub up against each other or the concepts of, or the ideas start to rub up against them, each other or themselves. And sort of like the Bing Bang. There's, some, there's nothing and then there's something. Mm-hmm. So to me, either something will spur me to write, either a physical something that happens in my world will physically move me to write, or it'll be something that I've been thinking about something maybe that's not been sitting well with me, um, whatever it may be. Or it may be I'm so moved by something else that someone has written that I, I write something in response to that. So that's – I don't know if I answered your question, but, but that's how I come to write. All right, very nice. You know, I asked you whether it was an idea, a form, or an image. The word form brings up the topic of new formalists. Tell me more about that movement. So there's a big there's a big uh, harangue to do out there about the new formalist. So formal a formal poet is just someone who likes to write either in form, using a specific form or, or group of forms, or they write a certain way with a certain meter, um, syllabics, syllables, or whatever they're doing, they're doing for a reason, as opposed to your free verse poets. And um, there's always been this war between the two. And I don't, uh, I don't think you really need to, ch- to, to choose a side because okay. I was thinking about this earlier. I also have a friend who hates adverbs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, adverbs may be justly this friend hates adverbs. But mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> adverbs... You shouldn't use adverbs if you have another word that's better, or if you're just right. looking to pad the pad a line, or make, or, or fit it. You, you know, so I understand that. But is I ask you a question: Would a free verse poet, if they stumbled upon a rhyme, not use it in their poem, at mm. at the <laughs> at the fear of of being lumped in with a formalist poet? Wow. And in and in the same regard. If a formalist poet came across something that didn't fit their form, would they not write it just to spite themselves? 
Mm. So I think that the answer to both of those questions is ridiculous. And you're going to write whatever moves you, and that's what I do. So I consider myself a new formalist poet because I like to write in forms. It's sort of like if you're if you're um, if you're running, and you mm-hmm. put heavy hands on, right? You put heavy hands on your feet, on your ankles. You've done that before, right? You're working out, yes. you're walking, you're running, and you have heavy hands on. You have hands on your. Maybe you put a, a weight vest on, you know, and you're running mm-hmm. and you're working out. That's what it's like to write form. Sometimes you're restricted by the the rhyme scheme. You're restricted by the the syllable count. You're so restricted by the, the refrain or whatever it may be, whatever you may feel is a restriction. Then you get home, you take everything off, now you write free verse. So that's sometimes how I feel after I've been writing form for a while. If I, can, if I don't have to think about all those other things to mm-hmm. write the free verse, is sometimes freeing in, in and of itself. So. All right. Before you share another poem, please share with me an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. So I thought about this good and hard, and I, and I, and I came up with an answer. And then after I came up with an answer, some, another thing had occurred to me after I had come up with that answer. So the, <laughs> right. the, the, so the, the, the example that I have mm-hmm. was an illustrated copy of um, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. I remember having those words read to me. And then reading those words and feeling them move me, you know, growing up Catholic, religion, God, church, especially hymns, had such a profound effect at me at such an early age. But I never realized until years, years later after studying formal verse at school. But I remember the words, and twas the night before Christmas, coming to life, like there was a magic on the page. And it was there in the meter and in the rhyme. It was in the music it really sang to my soul. I know you're probably thinking this is silly. It's a Christmas poem, you know. But you also have to remember, that, you know, it was written. I wrote it, read it as an eight-year-old, and I think it was, I think it was written to sing to the soul of an eight-year-old, and and that was my is a good example of an early um, run-in with poetry and and how it moved me. Mm, very nice. Please your poem. Sure. So this is called Open Read. It's a poem I wrote recently after after performing a lot of um, open reads, uh, either online or uh, live in person. Um, Open Read. Please don't tell me about what you were about to tell me. 24 lines, in and out, okay, 30 at max. No one needs to hear a five-minute introduction to a seven-minute poem when you have 180 seconds on the clock. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Sorry, sorry. That was mean. I mean, I'm sorry. Let me start again. We're all creative beings. Who am I to say a thing? Tell us a story of the Greeks or the Romans or knights in medieval times. We'll lend you our ears. Tell us of your visions. They say that the fear of public speaking is America's biggest social fear. The fear of strangers is number five, and the fear of failure, not far behind. Go ahead. Tell me again. I couldn't quite hear you over all the thoughts in my head. I'm paying attention now. Say what's to be. 
well spoken, well said. Thank you. You know, I'm the kind of host, when I hear a piece, there are times when I want to hear it twice. Please share that one again. Sure. This is called Open Read. Please, don't tell me about what you are about to tell me. 24 lines, in and out. Okay, 30 at max. No one needs to hear a five-minute introduction to a seven-minute poem when you've got 180 seconds on the clock. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Sorry, that was mean. I mean, I'm sorry. Let me start again. We're all creative beings. Who am I to say a thing? Tell us a story of the Greeks or the Romans or knights in medieval times. We'll lend you our ears. Tell us your visions. They say that the fear of public speaking is America's biggest social fear. The fear of strangers is number five. The fear of failure not far behind. Go ahead. Tell me again. I couldn't quite hear you over all the thoughts in my head. I'm paying attention now. Say what's to be. Well spoken. Well said. Thank you. What is the purpose of that particular poem, my friend? Talk to me. The purpose of that poem is a message to other poets out there. Listen to your fellow poets. Even though what they're saying may not interest you or may not be what you say or agree with, listen to them. Listen to, listen to everyone. Listen to everyone's viewpoint. Um, don't, you know, have patience. You, everyone's going to have their, their turn at the uh, dish. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. <laughs> and also, be, be polite. Don't, if it's two minutes, don't try to squeeze a five-minute poem into a two-minute or a three-minute slot and think you're doing anybody justice by doing that because nobody can hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You're, missing, you're missing out. If someone gives you three minutes and you want to read two very short pieces or you want to read an intermediate piece and introduce it and take your time, I would say you're probably better, better, better off doing that than tr- that or not even caring and just blowing past the, the bell. And just that to me is, is the biggest sin of an open read. But I, I digress. You fascinate me because you're a poet, a playwright, an actor, a director, a human being, plus a multitude of other things. And you state that your message remains the same. Why do we do what we do? How can we change it? And how can we learn, grow, and evolve? Tell me about your message, and why does it remain the same? I, I guess it goes back to the first poem I read, to, to Air is Human. We just, mm-hmm. um, no matter how much we try, that's, that's why I could write a new poem every day, because we, <laughs> we find new and interesting ways of messing up every single day. No, I know and, I do. Uh, I just... <laughs> I don't have all the answers. I don't yeah. pretend to be uh, a Svengali. I don't, you know, I don't pretend to be above my station. I'm just a, a guy that lives and, and works and writes. Uh, I don't, 
I'm, I'm not a smart man. I'm not a wise man. I'm not a, I'm, uh, I'm not a prophet, okay? I'm just a guy who looks at life, <laughs> writes about it, tries to get a laugh, or tries to, you know, write something a little touching. Mm-hmm. And if I could, if I could change, make a little change and a few other people maybe come on board and make a little change and you know, that's how a movement happens. Right. You know, all great writers, Ms. Chinzo, have great writing influences. I know that sounds like Louis Turco is one of yours, but who are some of your other writing influences and what makes them great in your eyes? Oh, well, I thought about this question long and hard, and I tried to write an answer down. And <laughs> All right. You, you know, you just – I mean, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about, like, uh, like Smokey and, uh, and, Barry, <laughs> Barry, and Barry Gordy? Are we All talking right. about oh. hits? Are we talking about hits, though? Are we talking about, like, oh. the 60s? Are we talking – I mean, when, when you say who are your favorite writers, I mean, it's just like saying – what I, what, I mean, what I mean by that is I am a mm-hmm. fan, a big fan of the 30s, 40s, 50s, the whole American Songbook – all right. Up to the, up to up to Motown, up through Motown, up through the '60s, into the '70s, you know, some of the '80s. It's just, I like to write. I like to listen to music. I like to I like to write music. I like to write songs. I like to write song verse. Uh, so when you ask me who my influences are, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Morrison of the Doors was a, okay. was a poet. He was also a, uh, but I mean, I also like Charles Bukowski. I also mm-hmm. like Robert Frost. I mean, who doesn't? I also like, mm-hmm. you, you know, all of all of the formalists, uh, Margaret Atwood, you, you know, it's just, uh, but then I like Walt Whitman, you know, I like George Wallace. George Wallace is, you know, he's still carrying the torch today of uh, the beats, the beats, all the beats, Frelinghetti, mm-hmm. Kerouac, all the beats. Ginsburg. So it's like I can't really say I've been influenced by everything. I, I right. so I can't say that this is my favorite or I gravitate. I just everything. There's there's so much and there's so much to discover. And as soon as I think I know everything, someone will turn me on to something else and I'll be like, I've never even heard of this. Like I've heard about speculative fiction the other last month and I never heard of it before last month. So go go figure, you know. What is it? What is speculative fiction? Speculative poetry and fiction. Yes. I, I guess it's it's just creating these these universes and uh, alter universes and um, ultraverses. I'm not I'm not a uh, an expert on it at all, so I'm assuming that's what it is. But the, there's there's all these there's all these books and and contests and groups that exist purely on that, and I had no idea it was there and it was and it was existing there all the time, just like the Matrix, existing in plain sight. Didn't even know about it, but there it is. Right. Now, do you come from a literary background? And I guess the specific question is, what did you learn growing up about writing? Well, I, I had your, your classic uh, Catholic grade school um, <laughs> education, mm-hmm. and then I I learned the rudimentary stuff, I guess, in high school. I, I went to college. Uh, I went to Nassau Community College. I 
I got involved in, in film and TV production, and then I heard that you could get a, a bachelor's in public relations from Oswego. So mm-hmm. I went to SUNY Oswego, which is up on the Great Lakes, beautiful school, and I was going for communication studies with public relations, and I started to take poetry and drama classes up there. Mm-hmm. I just fell into it. So I, I, there, with the um, Brad Corbus Myers uh, drama sequence and Louis Turco's poetry sequence, I really came into my own, and I felt... I, I kind of was like writing all the time, like as, as early as I can remember, 15, 16. I was writing from a cathartic, you know, young angst point of view. It wasn't until I went away to college that I really honed and learned what I was doing and shape it. And and then after college, I spent a, long, a good amount of time um, not writing at all, but still working, like doing journalism, writing um, band reviews, writing uh, um, dining reviews, writing music reviews, CD reviews. So I was still writing. I just wasn't writing creatively. I wasn't writing poetry. I wasn't writing drama. And I wasn't writing plays yet. So when I was working, I worked at um, the Good Times Magazine uh, and the Long Island Entertainment Magazine where I met um, John Blenn, Blend with a B, B L E N N, and right. uh, we worked we worked there at the magazine. The, the three of us, him, his wife Joni, so John Blend, Joni Blend, and myself, and then a few contributors. We basically ran the magazine. We did all the writing. We sold all the ad copy. We delivered the magazine, and we um, had it printed locally. And we did that for about um, two years, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then the magazine folded, but then John, who was the magazine um, editor-in-chief, also had a theater company called Middle Class American Productions, and I got involved doing drama, and that's how I worked my way back into writing creatively, and that was about seven or eight years ago. And I just got back into poetry less than a year ago, so that's brought me full circle to where I am today. Less than a year ago. Less than a year. The first poem that I read, I can read to you. I read it at Jack Jack's in uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Babylon Village. Uh, the uh, first Thursday of every month, Jack Jack's. Deborah Hauser runs a, a wonderful, wonderful poetry open mic at Jack Jack's in um, Babylon Village through the Babylon Arts um, Council and the Babylon Village Arts Council and I'll, I'll read for you if you want the first poem you. that yes. I read there. So this poem is called Roger That. It's in my chapbook that I wrote during COVID. Everyone wrote a chapbook during COVID. I wrote one too. It's uh, 40 right. poems and songs. Uh, and it's, uh, it was just a self-published chapbook that I wrote myself. It called Un- Unbound. And this is the poem out of that chat book. It's called Roger That. And it is um it is a post excuse me. Yes. It it, it is a it is a poem that I wrote to Roger Waters in the event of his passing. Um I wrote it sort of as an elegy, an mm-hmm. open letter to Roger Waters. And it's it's also a, a letter from Roger himself 
to the other Roger in the band, Sid, um, who went by Sid because there were two Rogers. So, so Sid. So this is a poem that I wrote from Roger to Sid, and from me to Roger, and from all the fans to Roger. After he, after he, he's still alive. <laughs> after mm-hmm. he's gone, but I wrote it now. So it's called Ro- <laughs> Roger. <laughs> it's called Roger that. Roger that, and it's the um, it was the first poem that I ever read at Jack Jacks, and it's not even been a year. So, wow. Roger that. All right. Um, among the snowy trees, you brought the world to its knees, feeding the wants and the needs. Through a frosted window pane, you feel the pain. From the snowy hills, from Gloucester to Notting Hill. You find you're on the coast again, cozy, but it ain't no cliffs of Dover. There's always a cause and there's always hope out there. Roger, my old friend, here we are again. You've lost yourself inside yourself again, and I wish you were here again, but you're off on a crusade. Early in our days, in the studio, you amazed. But soon the sessions became crazed with the ravings of a loon, well, at least you were in tune in those early days. When we were sheepish, you would say, well, who am I kidding? The dogs had their way, and we were part of the machine. Is there always hope out there? Because there's always a cause. Roger, my old friend, here we are again, my friend. We find ourselves alone at the end, peering out a frosted window pane. Have we become the pigs cresting on the wave? I could not know you. How could any of us? You burned bright like a furnace and rang loud as a bell. Although we knew you all too well, it soon all went to hell, one which you helped pave and forge. And although you may not have been, and although that may not have been your intention, we are still on the same road. In the snowy pines, you wrote the music and the lines, tilled the earth and planted the seeds through the dry days and the rains, deep in the snowy fields, from winter wheat to summer corn, you sheltered the weak and helped the scorn. Now your life's at the candle's end. There's always a cause and there's always hope out there. Roger, my old friend, here we are again, again. Have you found yourself inside yourself? And oh, how I wish you were here for just one more year as the memory starts to fade. Thank you. Wow. As I was listening, I was also wondering, to wanted to ask you, what was it about poetry, the art and craft of poetry, that brought you back? Well, when I was writing drama, I found mm-hmm. myself um, writing characters that were sort of poetic-type um, characters, like their lines were maybe there was some poetry there, there was some free verse there, or they would speak, they would be, you know, comedic tropes. So the drama and the poetry, I don't think you could separate the two. There's poetry and drama and and there's, you know, a lot of drama and some poetry. So uh, (laughs) they kind of go hand in hand. And uh, I don't think I ever stopped. I just, I just stopped producing i stopped writing i was always thinking i was always okay you know I, look 
I mean, I've been rewriting. There are some poems I've been rewriting for the 30 years. Mm-hmm. There's two schools of there's schools two two schools of thought out there as as far as poetry goes. There's the purest school of thought, which is like the, Ker, the Kerouac uh, school of thought. You write it in the moment. You never change it. It is what it is. You're never going to be able to replicate the feelings that you felt at that time. So mm-hmm. that's it. Don't change a word. And then there's the revisionist school of po- poetry mm-hmm. that you, if you only have a certain amount of words, a certain amount of lines, a certain amount of syllables, you, you just keep tinkering and tinkering and tinkering and tinkering with it until until it's perfect. And somewhere in between, I think, lies the truth between oh, wow. the two of them. You know, that's one of my questions that I ordinarily ask, that some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's nothing you can do to correct or improve it, or others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. Your take on it. So you're saying you're somewhere in the middle. Well, I, I equate it to a song, poetry mm-hmm. to a song. You write a song. It's out there in the ether now. It takes mm-hmm. on a life of its own. Yes. Like think about, think about any earworm that you know, any song that you can't get out of your head. Mm-hmm. Is the same with a poem, good or bad. Like Joyce Kilmer's uh, Trees. I don't know if you're familiar with that poem, <laughs> but the, the the poem trees. You, you know, you've probably heard it before. The, about the little boy, and he sat beside the tree, and, and later in his life, he decided to cut the tree down. Is that the one? No, no, no. Like it's, I, you know, okay, I'm sorry. It's it's very well. It's very sing-songy. Like it's overly okay. sing-songy. <laughs> I thought that I w- I thought that I've never seen a thing as lovely as a tree. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, <laughs> right. All and what right, everybody, right. <laughs> poor Joyce Kilmer, what every what everybody gets on, what everybody gets on him about was he was he was giving um, attributes, human attributes, to something that was non living in in sort of a, an overly sweet syrupy sort of way. So. Yes. That poem, when he wrote it, I don't think he meant it to become such a lightning rod for for critics hundreds and hundreds of years after he wrote it. So, yes, poetry, once you write it, you don't own it. I mean, you own it. I mean, you wrote it. But do you do you own it? No, I, I guess not. It's out there. People will take it, and they will make it their own. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Jack White of the White Stripes, he wrote Seven Nation Army. Right? You know how you know yes. how the song goes, right? No, no, I don't have to tell me. You Well, anyway, it's just those <laughs> over okay. and over and over again. Yes. Soccer, soccer teams from across the world have different countries have adopted it as they are chant. They chanted it. They chanted in 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 the stadium. So, do you think that? <laughs> When Jack White was writing the song, you know, on his guitar, using his homemade amplifier, that he was ever gonna, it was ever become what it was. So to answer your question, yes, <laughs> poetry can take on a life of itself. Yes, it can. And you wouldn't know this on another note. I majored in radio, television, and motion pictures. I knew I liked you for some reason. I majored in radio, television, motion pictures, 
at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. My dream in life was to become a television producer. Of course, it never happened. <laughs> but we share a similar background in that regard. Well, you were producing this, and you're doing a fine job. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. On that note, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. All right, I like that. Thank you. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Vincent J. Cologne. Vincent, Vincenzo, question for you. All right, question for you, sir. Are you there? Vincent? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Okay, so is this a trick question? <laughs> Could be. Because <laughs> it's certainly a loaded question. <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> is a poem letting your guard down guard or building, down, a wall? building a wall? All yes. right. All right. So I'm going to say both. Okay. <laughs> po- poetry to me is the opportunity to hold someone's attention long enough to say, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something which I thought was important enough to write down, edit, hopefully edit, research, mull over, antagonize over, change, tear up, throw out, forget, remember, rewrite, print, re-edit, save, include in a book, submit it to others to read, pay to print, tell my friends and family about it, and then read it to you today. So to me, it's deeply personal. But in the end, mm. if it doesn't move you or make you feel something, did I just waste my time? So I believe the answer is half of the fun is in getting there, the trip, right. you know, the journey. Yes. Some poems are doorways and some are windows. We choose to open them or, or keep them shut. As creative beings, we must open the door when opportunity knocks or throw open the window, Sash. Right? To let in the sweet fragrance of creativity. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The sweet fragrance of creativity. I love it, man. Listen, does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? Does it hurt me to write poetry? So I want to I want to understand your question. Yes. Does it hurt me to write poetry? Yes. If not, why not? Po- oh well, I I have 
my wife says to me all the time, she says, why? She goes, I love that poem. Why don't you write more like that? <laughs> and I was, <laughs> and, I, I was <laughs> and I was having this conversation with the with TA the other day, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the well and going to the well, and and I said, um, you know, I, sometimes I write a poem about my dad or about the relationship that we had. We had a wonderful relationship. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but he he died. He died. My daughter is going to be twenty one in March. Mm-hmm. He died. 20 days after she was born. So it's sort of um, a bittersweet, you know, you know, I, 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 for me to write poems about him and about the time we were very close before he passed away, even though it's 20 years ago, Yes. it's still, it's like going to the well. And it's hard to go to the well all the time, every day, and not feel the... Um, the punch, the gut punch. So uh, T.A. said, I go, I, you know, I'm afraid if I go to the well too much, there's not going to be anything left. And T.A. said, what are you talking about? <laughs> the, mm-hmm. It refills itself every night, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going to go keep on going. You're going to keep living. You're going to keep experiencing stuff. So the well is going to keep refilling itself. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's some stuff that I, I, I write about that um, is very personal. It's hard and you know, I, I try to distance myself sometimes from from the very, very personal feelings by creating characters and okay. and you know, changing names and hiding behind humor. But you well, know I, you know I, how it is sometimes. I do know how it is. Actually I really do. And I was wondering, has a poem you've written ever humbled or frightened you? Oh, well, Humbled or frightened. Yes. <laughs> I want to read a poem for you. Mm-hmm. That that humbled me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wrote it. I wrote it when I was in. Um. I wrote it when I was in college. Okay. And the poetry. Uh, you don't mind, right? No, of course not. To answer your question. So yes. the the form is um, the form is called the Trenta Say. T R E N T A capital S-E-I, trying okay. to say, which um, translates to 36 in, uh, in Italian. So the form is you take the first, so there's six, six stanzas. Each stanza has six lines in it. And the first, the, and each line of the first stanza follows come the first line of each following stanza. So for instance, the second line of the first stanza is the first line of the second um, stanza. The third line of the first stanza is the third line is the first line of the third stanza. The the fourth line of the first stanza is the first line of the fourth stanza, and so on and so forth. It's a lot more complicated than than it really is. It's, I'm making it sound a lot more complicated than it really is. But anyway, it it was something that I wrote and I had a hard time connecting and making it sound. Um, fluid from stanza to stanza because what I was doing was I was uh I was rapping the stanzas and I was making I was trying to make it sound the com- conversational and I was having a difficult time doing it. So this poem humbled me because it took a whole weekend to get it finally get it right. So the poem is called Speak Well and it is a trend to say variation. Do you know Do you know, 
someone who always says, you know, when they mean to say something more specific, like, do you know? Know what? Know what? Like a sometimes substituted for you know. Yes, I know. I know someone who always says you know when they're trying to find a word on the tip of their tongue, but they're not sure what they want to say. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when using a sentence explicitly, you know, to, you know, hinder, you know, like, you know, hinder the flow, you know? Oh, I know. I, I, you, you mean when they mean to say something more specific, but they're nervous and you know comes out, you know? I know. Though sometimes it's irritating. I know what you mean. You mean to say something and, like, you know comes out and said. Do you, do you like, do you know? Know what? Know what? You haven't told me anything. How can I possibly know what you're saying? Stop saying you know. You know there's a word on the tip of my tongue for people like you. You're, you're like, you know, vague. Like a sometimes substitute for you know. Like I hear what you're saying. Like I'm with you. Like I understand, you know, what you're trying to tell me. I comprehend the meaning of your point. You know, yes, I, I know. Like is also sometimes substituted for you know. Yes, I know. I know. I know someone who does that all the time. Like, you know, it usually doesn't bother me. But like, you know, I think it's contagious because like, you know, I find myself becoming like, you know, kind of annoying. Finished. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I really like that. Yeah. So anyway, that, if, if you were looking at the if you were looking at the paper, you would see that the first line of each stanza is a line taken from the first stanza. Oh wow! Speaking of that peach, and and growing up, that was how we used to speak. We used to say like right. and you know all the time. Yeah, true. I know that. I know. Yeah. I know. And coming from uh, a media background, you understand all those vocalized pauses, like, yes. you know. Well, and that brought up another question, my friend. Your voice is extremely distinctive. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice, if there's a relationship that you've discovered? Uh, so my inner voice, I think, is my... Uh, my voice as a poet. My speaking voice is, is my voice speaking to myself when I'm when I'm speaking. So, mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll write something, and I'll say, "Wow, this is great. This sounds great." And then I'll read it out loud, and I'll go, "Oh, not so much. What was I thinking?" <laughs> but, but in doing that, and you you know exactly what I'm what I'm talking about. You your your perception of yourself. And your projection of yourself are often two very different things. Very so, your, per, per, your, your perception of yourself and your projection of yourself. So, I try to keep them as faithful as possible. So, if I, if I write something and I feel very strongly about it, I also I do a workshop every Wednesday with um, uh, J.R. Turk, Judy, Judy Turk, the Purple Poet, mm -hmm. in, um, on Long Island at the at the um Farmingdale Library and I'm open to suggestion. I, I I love suggestion, I love criticism, I love critiques because my inner voice sometimes is a uh, an unfaithful narrator, I've learned. <laughs> that sometimes <laughs> sometimes I um I'm writing something and I think it to be true, but once I workshop it I find it not not to be true. And and I think that's invaluable. And anybody who Anybody who's a writer out there, I strongly suggest you get involved in, in a workshop because it will change your perception of, of how you write, and it will shape your inner voice. 
and I it took me a long time to develop my my voice. Mm-hmm. Be faithful to your voice. Um, my 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 biggest um, challenge was finding it, and then once I I found it, as soon as you find it, people are going to tell you that it's it's wrong, it's not for you. That's you know because I I don't know why, but they'll say get rid of that, don't do this. If you like what you're doing and if you're comfortable and you find it works for you, don't try to reinvent the wheel. I'd say mm-hmm. keep an open mind, listen to different. Um, listen, read, listen to different uh, poets, listen to where they're coming from, and um, you'll you'll shape your own voice. But to answer your question, I try to keep my voice as faithful as I possibly can. My inner voice, my outer voice, all all the same, all the same projection of the same picture. Very nice. Tell me about a poem, my friend, that you were proud of writing, but afraid to share for fear of possible misinterpretation. Okay, so. I wrote this poem. <laughs> well, you, well, you quickly jumped on that. <laughs> you didn't have to think so, about it. You were like right there. Because <laughs> I, I remember you asking the same question to a couple other. other uh, okay. This is what happens when you. Uh, I, I, okay. see, uh, I, and, I, and, I, and I remember them being aghast at the question. And I said to myself, I better. I better <laughs> <laughs> I better have myself a poem for what he asked me that question. So I uh I'll be ready to answer it. But anyway, right. um this is a poem that I this is a poem that I wrote in uh in Unbound and it is um it is an introspective poem and it is a poem that I wrote um how do I introduce this without without giving it away? It's uh, everyone is. I was just talking about perception and projection. So yes. they say perception is reality, right? Or reality is perception. Perception is reality in the world that we live in. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. If that's what the perception is, that's that's what everybody remembers. So I was trying to write a poem that questioned the perception of me or other people like me mm-hmm. and I just was unsure of how it would be um, accepted at the time so this is as it was written um, about a year ago it's called Through the Prism Sublime Through the Prism Sublime When we pause and peer through the prison sublime do we see what do we find in the prisons of our mind When we stop to look at black and white, wrong and right, is it as clear as an open space, this problem we have with race and rights, and the riots lead to wars and deaths, gasping for another breath? Can we occupy the same place, or will we end this human race this time? When I look at you, I see myself through the prism in my mind. When I look at you upon the shelf, frames, in the present perfect time. I know you will fight for what is right and what we have failed to write. It is as clear as an open window pane. I feel your pain and your fright. When you stop and look at white and black, don't turn back, do what's right. And as I write this, I know more wars of words will add to the fight and the riots lead to wars and death gasping for another breath. Can we occupy the same place 
or will we end the human race this time? When I look at you, I see myself through the prism in my mind. When I look at you upon my shelf, framed in the present perfect time. When we pause and peer through the prism sublime, what do we see? What do we find in the prisons of our mind? When we stop to look at black and white, wrong and right, is it as clear as an open space, this problem that we have with race and rights, and the riots lead to wars and death, gasping for another breath? Can we occupy the same place, or will we end this human race this time? When I look at you, I see myself through the prism in my mind. When I look at you upon my shelf, framed in the present perfect time. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Need a second to... Now, you were concerned about potential misinterpretation of that piece? Tell me more. Well, when I wrote it, I was, I was referring to a picture of myself that I was mm-hmm. looking at, an earlier, younger picture of myself, speaking to myself today and saying right. to myself, talking to the picture, to myself saying, if you, you know, why didn't you, if you only knew then what you know now, and yes. would you have you know, just all the ifs, you know, the ifs and the whats and the, you say to yourself, uh, how did, you know, how did we get here and why? But I didn't, I didn't want it to, um, I didn't want it to be misinterpreted because I I wasn't writing it from a, uh, I wasn't writing it from a racially charged uh, point of view. So I didn't want that to, 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 to be reflected Mm -hmm. in the writing. You know, that brings up my all-time favorite question that I've asked everybody (laughs) every week for the last, sometimes four times a week for the last five years. We live in a world (laughs) where there's good, (laughs) bad, ugly, and indifferent based on so many different things. What do you view as being the role of a poet in in modern day society? Sometimes even I trip over that. What is the role of the poet? Yes. So I think that the role of the poet is and has always been to point out the inequities and to question why. Accept nothing at face value. Mm-hmm. Ask why five times. Mm-hmm. When, you think to ha- when you think you have the answer, ask why again. And then ask how. Poetry mm-hmm. is the original journalism, All right. which, which I know today is painted in a bad light, like it's a dirty mm-hmm. word. But mm-hmm. who, who are the poets but the modern-day town criers pointing out this isn't right? Or, you know, tell me what you think it is. I, I, I may fix it. Um, poetry is, to me essential in in today's society. Um, they say a picture uh, paints a thousand words. Yes. So just think about how many poets you need to send the same message. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could have one cartoon, you know what I mean? <laughs> or you could have, or you could have one or two strong, strong poems. So w- when I was, poem poetry is everywhere. It permeates everything, and and we don't even know it. Like you said, you you were going to be a TV producer, right? Yes, true. Ad text, ad, ad copy. Um, it's everywhere. It's it's everywhere. Uh, the news, news copy, you know, it's, it's almost poetry in and of itself. You want to say, you want to give all of the news as fast as possible and as little amount of words as possible. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, you, when you asked me what poetry is, I, I told you that poetry to me is the economy of, of words. words. Yes. You, yes. To use as little, a little amount of words as possible to get my, my uh, point across like Judy, mm-hmm. J.R., the purple mm-hmm. poet, she, she says that uh, uh, the length of a poem should be like a, a woman's dress, L- long, uh, short enough to keep your interest, but long enough to tell the story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> um, th- that's, that's what I think. So what do I think today? The, what is the role of the poet in modern-day society today? Mm-hmm. People don't have any attention span at all today. So right. poetry has become microverse, flash poetry, flash fiction. Now they're mm-hmm. like, you know, write a poem in six words. I, I mean, look, I'm a formalist. But yes. <laughs> uh, we're getting crazy now. Six words? It's like, <laughs> all right, well, I mean, I like drabbles. Drabbles are 100 words. So that's mm-hmm. that's something. I mean, if you could tell a story in in a thousand words, can you tell the same story in a hundred words? So my, my point is, my point is that what is the role of the poet? I don't even think kids today, my daughter's going to be 21. I couldn't, I couldn't have, I couldn't sit her down long enough and have her listen to a 20 line poem or a sonnet. She just, you know, they're on to the next thing like that. So I don't know if there is a, I don't know if the, the poet, poet today, is the same poet that my, my dad had or that I had in my day. It's, it's changing mm-hmm. and it's evolving and it, mm-hmm. it may be past me. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> I may have missed it. I may have missed the boat, but anyway, I'll keep printing my, uh, my homemade chapbooks at home and giving them to my friends and family. All right. Hey, send me one. Well, you know, one of the things that people talk a lot about is accessibility, accessibility of meaning in terms of a poem. My question to you, my friend Vicenzo, should one employ a lot of mental energy to solve a poem? Okay, so I love this question, and I'm going to tell you, I've thought about this you many, like many times. I can tell when you like them, all right. <laughs> I thought, I've thought about this. I've mulled this over. I've turned it over in my mind many, many times. And the answer, yes. the answer is yes, no, and maybe. Maybe so. Because... <laughs> You you have to have any any poem that's worth its weight in, in salt it, or gold has to be immediately like I, I mentioned towards the night before Christmas before people that's I would say arguably next to Joyce Kilmer's tree trees mm-hmm. yes. that's probably one of the most widely recognized poems in 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 the United States I would say maybe even the world so. Okay. There's a lot to it. Uh, me being a poet, you know, I I look into it, I dissect it. So, is everybody going to do it at the same level that I'm going to do it? No, 
But do I expect them to do that? No. I, on the same regard, will try to write something that a fifth grader or a sixth grader can read, mm-hmm. understand, take something from it. But I'll also maybe I'll bury some Easter eggs in there or I'll, I'll poem within a poem or hidden meanings or maybe I'll put an acrostic in there or I'll have something with the end rhyme or the head rhyme or do something in the body of the poem, you know, something allude to another poem, do something in it that's not readily accessible at face value, just looking at it. Maybe you have to stumble upon a word or trip upon, you know, something that unravels something else. That's the way I like to write. I like to write at many different levels at the same time. So that way somebody could come back to the poem maybe five, ten years later and go, oh, well, he's, he was alluding to this, and that's what he meant with this, and I understand now. There's a method to his madness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, you've written a poem. So many questions I want to ask you, my friend, but I know we've – you've written a poem every day. Or, every day you, since um, – Every day. <laughs> every day right. since August, August 1st, yes. All right. Today? Okay. <laughs> So people I'm up to one, day 125. 125. People are potentially expecting something from you every day. Am I correct? Yes. Now, well, maybe. Maybe? Okay. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think I'm the only one that reads the poem I write every day, but that's fine. <laughs> okay, so you post it. You, you, you post it. Yeah, you do post it. Here's my question. Do you try to be original, or do you deliver what you think your readers want? When you write this poem so, all right. So as far as the poet, the poem per day. So, mm-hmm. what I do is Jana, who I, who I knew from, who I met from the um, the twenty four hour poetry marathon that happens yes. in June. Um, so I, I I knew I met her. I knew her through that, and I heard she was doing the poetry prompt website, um, Raven Wire poetry prompts on, at Facebook. So. She posts the poems usually a day or two before the month for the whole month, the prompts. So I'll, I'll look at them briefly, but I really won't study them. So I don't really know, like, the fifth or sixth or seventh day. I may know the first day. I may mm-hmm. know the second day. I generally look at them either the night before or that morning, and I'll, I'll plant a thought in my mind. Um, I've been writing different forms lately. I made up a, a new form of my own that I wrote. I wrote a bunch of drabbles, you know, the hundred word poems. Mm-hmm. It, I got to write something every day. So I, I didn't want to just re- resort to a haiku a day. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't want to do that. I wanted to keep it at least the length of a drabble, a hundred mm-hmm. words. I wanted to write, I wanted to make it a challenge. So I wanted to do a good amount of them in form. And I wanted them all to be new poems, and if not new, I wanted them, because there are some, some poems that I keep rewriting over and over and over again, mm-hmm. I wanted them to be um, the, the concept, a new concept. So, you know, I may steal a line from an old poem, but it, it, they're basically all new poems. So do I write something from, for the people who are reading it, or do I write I, – I don't even think of that. I don't think about anything other than what is the message for today? What is, okay. it's sort of like each one is each one of them is almost like a parable or, or a short story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
and and whatever they may say that day is the message for that day. Now, granted, sometimes <laughs> sometimes I reiterate the same message day after day after day because no no one seems to be listening to me, or you know, or I just like to hear myself talk. But um, that's what I generally do. I write. I if it if they like it, great. If they don't like it, sorry. I'm just I'm just creating. Well, we've reached my favorite part of the program. <laughs> I'm not sure you know what it is, but this is what I call a mini poetry concert where you share three to four poems back to back, no interruptions from me. Now, Vincenzo, the stage is yours. Okay. Do you want me to introduce each one? That would be nice, yes. Okay. So this was a... Ravenwire Poetry Prom Poem of the Day, and this was day 95. Uh, the prompt was write a poem based on an image. So Jana puts up six pictures a month, and I kind of wrote this as an acrastic. Frastic. Um, the, po- the, the image was an image of a wooded path in the forest. It looked it looked like it was um, an earthen path. So the form that I created, syllabics. Now, the clicks is just the Roman numeral C L X X X for 180 for the number 180, because there are nine syllables per line. There's five stanzas, four lines per stanza. So nine times five times four is 180 syllables. And the name of this poem is called Well-Trodden. We found the well-traveled path of sorts, used by smugglers and other cohorts. For years it remained undisturbed, lost in the forest glade, hidden by trees. The lane was shady, a thoroughfare for travelers, huddled in the moonlight, twice as dangerous in the daylight, and deadly in inclement weather. The well-trodden track had its secrets. Whispers were it led to a railroad, but not the kind with wood and steel tracks. This convoy was built upon their backs. Every branch broken, every footfall, led us further into that black past. A nail on a tree held a lantern, illuminating, alerting us, guiding us safely through the thicket, this is the why, this is why we protest and picket. No matter how painful the road home, it's easier worn when not alone. This, uh, thank you, this poem is called Appearances Are Deceiving, and it's a drabble. And the prompt was, use the line, appearances are deceiving. <laughs> so I just titled it, appearances are deceiving. So it's a drabble. It's exactly 100 words. Ask any unsuspecting prey, and to them it isn't funny. Trust is broken, lives are lost, scattered, tossed, like a big shot and his money. Appearances are deceiving. Just go ask the meek. Appearances are deceiving. It's just the truth which I seek. I love to take you at face value. I'd love to just take you at your word. 
My God, how bizarre does that sound? How strange, how utterly absurd. It's all about trust but verify. Can no one tell the truth? John Lennon was right. And now in hindsight, appearances are deceiving. So just give me some truth. Thank you. This is called Teach a Man to Fish. And this is also clicks syllabics. Teach a man to fish. Fixes it all, right? No? Wasn't that what they taught us? Give a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. Sounds simple, right? Well, what if there's no fishing rod? What if there's no fishing line? What if there's no ocean or any fish left to catch or stove to cook on or knife to clean and fillet, or clean and fillet it so? What if, there's no hung- what if there's no more hunger or belly to fill or need to nourish? What if the man knows how to fish but chooses not to? What if the man hates fish? Maybe he's allergic. What's next? Do we force feed him the, the tuna raw like an obstinate child? Send him to his room without dinner? with hunger still unsatisfied, we think we know what's best. Open up, chew, and swallow. And this next one is an Italian sonnet, and it is also a drabble. It is called Alien to Ourselves. As we stare further into space, alien's a funny word, almost unheard. Our own skin now foreign to us. How absurd. We don't even sound like ourselves. This place, not familiar. Our surroundings, no trace of what we call home. Everyone's perturbed. We're all in a bad mood. Do not disturb signs posted. We've come to an about face. They are drowning in the waves. Searching for something we've already found. The sound, the fury, the fight to the death. They see Lady Liberty through the haze. Firm in your position, you stand your ground, waiting on us, breathing their last breath. That's four. All right. You know, Vincenzo, they say to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, musicians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work, my friend? What emerges from you? Well, uh, people have told me that uh, I'm funny, okay. <laughs> like All I'm right. a comedian. All right. Like, um, <laughs> like I'm, I, I just, uh, I, I don't know. Like, there are certain poets that are dark and brooding, and uh, you know, the end is near type poems. Poets. Yes. I, I thought I, w- I thought I was like that when I was younger. Okay. I was very I was very into the ego poetic I and myself and as I got older I I started to think about things a little differently and um look at the world a little differently to the point where satire plays plays I think a big role in my writing now. Mm-hmm. I, I I I like to satirize. I like to look at look at the world and Say, look, this is a crazy place. Let's let's think of a couple new ways to, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, pass the time and and make it funny and have mm-hmm. a laugh. Maybe maybe write something a little touching. Mm-hmm. I uh, 
I'm not I'm not a hate there's a lot of poets out there that um you know with spit and rage and right. cast and shade. I'm I'm not about that at all. I, I don't uh, uh you know, I'm not naming any names, but I'm just saying that it's a lot of there's a lot of guys out there and girls out there that uh everything's about them and about uh, you know, look how bad I am and about mm-hmm. uh you, you know, every I like I said, I got away from that ego poetic guy a long time ago. Okay. To now I you know, I'll write a poem and I'll think to myself let me remove all the eyes in this poem. What, what, how would this poem sound if I changed all the eyes to use or mm-hmm. to we's or to us? Would it, does it change? Does it change the poem? What if I change the eyes to, and what if I create a character and give the character a funny name? You know, it doesn't, because everything's not always about me. My, like I write things sometimes and my wife's like, that never happened. What do you, why'd you write that? Why'd you say that? I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, do you understand that if I write only what happens in my lifetime, it's going to get very old very quickly and no one's going to care? Of course. Of course. That's what fiction is. You're, you're creating a universe. You're creating these things. Of course, we draw from what we know. Of course. Yes. Yes. But we have to, we have to be able to have the freedom to do that. So. To answer your question, um, I don't know. I'm still I'm still looking for the answer. Do you think you were meant to be a poet, Vincent? Well, that's another good question. Um, for as long as I can remember, I've written. Okay. I've written. I've written things down. I have a copy of every poem I've ever written oh, wow. somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, on paper, I have a hard copy of everything I've ever written. I, I mean, I'm nowhere near the purple poet of, of writing a poem a day for 18 years. Yes. Or, or some of these other <laughs> tour de forces, but I, you know, I have a, a lot of poems. And how, was I meant to be a poet? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it's not like you go to your guidance counselor in high school and they say, yeah, you know, uh, you've been looking out the window a lot, writing on your desk. I think the career path for you is poet. Okay. So <laughs> I, I think we, we kind of fall into it. Um, okay. Anybody that considers themselves to be a poet, I don't, I don't think they ever – I've always written. So I don't know what, like T.A. said, that he's not a poet. He's, a, he's an expressionist, right? Yes. I don't know mm-hmm. if I – I mean, I consider myself a poet, but I don't, I don't know if I'm, if I'm a poet okay. per se. Well, what surprises you most about being, let's say, a writer, poet, whatever you want to call it, what surprises you most about the ability to be able to write, be able to to share? The joy that it brings other people when I write something from my heart and from my soul. Okay. And when someone who I don't know writes me, calls me, and says, wow, you wrote that poem and you explained exactly how I felt or how did, how did you know I was going through that? Or I guess that's all, we're all part of the universal mind somehow to latch onto that, to latch onto that. It gives me the greatest joy. It gives me the greatest joy and sense of accomplishment, writing something that someone else reads that brings joy to their day or makes them think, 
mm-hmm. or influences them in some in some sort of way where it makes them think about something they may not have thought of before, and it opens. It, they say perception is reality, right? So yes. it opens their it opens their mind now to maybe an idea or a concept that they hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. That to me is what makes it all worth it. You know, we've almost reached the end of our poetic journey, but I'd like you to favor us, if you will, with one final piece, one piece to take us home. All right. So I told you I had a uh, a bunch of poems. I, I wrote wrote about my dad and about going to yes. the well and about mm-hmm. how it it's painful at times. So I wrote this poem. I read it at um, one of our poetry uh, groups on, on a Saturday at the East Meadow Library, and it's and the prompt was it was a day ninety six, and the prompt was choose a song. Use a line in the lyrics from that song. So the song that I chose was Don McLean's American Pie. And the line from the song was, A long, long time ago, I can still remember how the music used to make me smile. So that would be the epigram. So the name of the poem is called The Beat Up Radio. And... The epigraph is a long, long time ago. I can still remember how the music used to make me smile. Hearing your favorites through the static and buzz reminds me now of how lucky I was. Around 7 a.m. after breakfast, you'd take to the backyard, let out the cats, and light your cigar. Too early for burgundy. Percolated coffee filled the air. I was barely awake, but still very aware. When you plugged in the radio outside, under the yawning, exposed to the elements while I was still yawning, there for years covered in dirt, paper cone curled, select a knob frozen in place. As it crackled to life, you'd cry, a lot of work calling upstairs, VJ, let's go, pick up the pace. You'd get one station if you were lucky most days. It was your AM favorite, you know, the music of our lives. Hmm. Cheshire Cat's smile gradually filled your face while tending to your fig tree or sharpening your knives. Back then, oldies were different, not like the oldies of today. The Andrews sisters at 9 a.m., and then Frank and Dean by noon. Hmm. And Elvis, oh, how the king ruled the air. He, like you, left us way too soon. You were a man of simple needs, never wanting for what you had not. Many times we offered to replace that broken box. You refused. You refused, but thanked us a lot. And there it sat and played for nearly 20 years, decaying on that shelf. It was the last thing that I threw out when your widow sold the house, and I made a pact with myself to get an old radio just like yours. Now I'm happy to report I have one of my own today. But as much as I fiddle with the dial, adjust the antenna, and repeatedly press play, I just can't seem to capture the magic of that day. Thank you. Wow. 
What a beautiful poem. Yes, thank you. That's called going to the well. <laughs> yes. Wow. So thank you very much. I really appreciated the time oh, that you yes. spent with me. It, it, the time just yes. flew by. It really did. How can listeners find your work, Vincenzo? So, uh, look, I'm not promoting anything. I'm not. I don't have a chat book. I don't have a. I don't have a um, a book out. I've written five or six chat books. They're all self-published. Okay. I printed them myself. Um, I'm on Raven Wire Poetry Prompts on Facebook. If anybody is interested and they want to contact me on Facebook, they can just send me a friend request, mm-hmm. and I and I will um, hook up with you that way. Um, just just Google my name, on, or search it on Facebook. You have it in the spelling, and then I will send you. If you're interested, I'll, I I have a few chat books left. I'm gearing up with a publisher to print a a, a collection of of work of works, but um, that's not going to happen probably until the summer. I, I'm also um, looking at a couple other things. Um, you can contact me at, on Facebook under Vincent Cologne. Um, can I share my email address? If you like. Is that okay? Um, my, fine, email yes. adri- my email address is um, Julia's Dad at AOL. That's J A. I'm sorry, J E W E L I A S D as in David, A as in Apple, D as in David at AOL.com. So it's J E W E L I A S D-A-D at AOL.com. Julia is my daughter's name, so it's Julia's dad at AOL.com. Well, you've answered my last question. I was going to ask, what's next for you creatively? (laughs) I'm doing a lot of things. I'm doing a murder mystery theater right now. Um, I'm writing, acting, directing one-act plays. Uh, I also wrote a a full-length two-act called the bathroom sink that um we, I, I yeah i'm very busy i uh i'm doing a uh, like a radio play of it's a wonderful life oh. um, yes in uh, the next two weekends in lindenhurst where 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 we live at the south shore theater experience mm-hmm. uh in lindenhurst uh it's um the 11th and the 18th so and then we'll be doing a collection of one-act plays. I'm also going to be at um, Jack Jack's in February. I'll also be at um, Nears in Queens in February. <laughs> Nears is, uh, is a great little spot. It's actually one of the uh, oldest continually operating uh, taverns in the United States. It's been op- operating continuously for 190, I think, 196 years, 197 oh, wow. years. And they do an open mic every um, second Thursday of the month, uh, which is this Thursday coming up. So anyway, uh, that's the best way. I'm, I'm not I'm not looking to, to to push anything or sell anything right now. I just been doing Spofest, a um, couple other open mics. Uh, mm-hmm. Spofest is is, is the uh, first and last Tuesday of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the Lehigh Poets, which is which is excellent. 
Um, who else? Um, Uncloistered Poetry on Sundays. We just did a thing through Poetry X Hunger and the Poetry Project this past Saturday. Mm-hmm. You can still get it, get in on it. I'll share the link with with you. There's a, a poetry auction for hunger, which um, a really great cause. We just did it this Saturday, and we're looking to. It was actually like in a frastic in reverse where they um, wrote the poems, and then the artists painted the pictures to the poems. So it's it's in, in reverse how they normally do it, and they're auctioning the photos off. So mm-hmm. that's you know that's basically what I do. The um, J.C. Wayne for the Poetry Project. Um, she does a thing every uh, every month, which mm-hmm. is excellent. Also, so I've been keeping busy with that. I've also been keeping busy with with the the drama and the local uh, theater. So, well, you were going to share a bit about your writing collective at Brader Agency. So this is <laughs> this is a funny story. So Brader Agency was actually my. Uh, my Oswego drama professor, Brad Corbusmeyer, he created this uh, website called Brader Agency, and it was um, a representation agency for all of his creative friends, writers, artists. So he had me on, and I sent him something. I had one of my pieces uh, published in Fresh Words International Literary Journal, and he was going to repost it. And when he went to repost it, he found out that somebody had squatted on his webpage. And when it was ready to be renewed, they renewed it. And now they're holding his website for ransom. So (laughs) if you go to Brader Agency, it's going to be a dead link because somebody's holding that website for ransom right now. And the inside joke was he sent the message to all the creative uh, people (laughs) – in the group, and he said, "I went to post one of Vinny's poems, and I uh, I crashed my website, and somebody stole it. So it's all Vinny's fault." Oh, wow. But it wasn't. He just that was just the next time that he went to to it. It had been it had been stolen at that point. But we live in a world where yes, we do. He has this little creative writing representation website that maybe he houses. Eight or nine writers, and somebody mm-hmm. goes and steals it. Wow! So life happens when we least expect it, regardless of the plans that we make. It's fine because it just goes it goes hand in hand with when I was in high school. They lost it. My, they lost my yearbook picture. <laughs> so it was like I never existed. <laughs> so it's just one of those things that. Uh, you know, well, I just expected to. And you know what? As soon as we're done with this interview, yes. I'm going to go and sign on and, and look and, and look at it tomorrow, and there'll be a glitch, and it'll be corrupted, and it'll, it was like it never happened. Well, look, so. I want to thank you because you are an incredible man. There's something special about you, Vincenzo. Oh, I don't know what it is. The level, of, well, the level of transparency, I don't know what it is. It's just... You make the perfect guest, and I'd like you to come back whenever you'd like. I would love that, and I thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been a wonderful hour and a half that I spent with you. I really appreciate it. My last thing to you, your favorite Motown song. I'll tell you mine. Oh, my. Well, if you know anything about uh, 
<laughs> uh, Barry Gordy is he yeah. worked at Ford. He worked okay. at Ford before he opened up Hitzo. So right, with, right. with Henry Ford with the, the assembly line and the interchangeable parts, he mm-hmm. brought that same approach to his, to his music. So okay. in one room, he might have somebody laying down the, the, the percussion. In another room, he might have the background singers. In another room, he may have the, the guitarist. And uh, in another room, he, he may have somebody else. So he would take everything and he would put it together. So... I I don't know. It's a hard, hard. It's like asking me, you know, which is my favorite writer. But um, Motown, favorite Motown, I would say, probably Tears of a Clown. Really? Mm-hmm. All right. I would say, or I always said, someday we'll be together by the Supremes. Yes, another or great re- one. Or Reflections by the Supremes. That's another good one too. That's another good one. Okay, we can talk later. <laughs> we yeah, let's nice make features. that the theme. Let's make that the theme of our next show. Yes. Motown. <laughs> Motown. Hitsville. And I'll write. I'll write you a poem to commemorate. <laughs> okay. I like it. I like it. All right. Good night to you, Vincenzo. Good night to the listening audience. And as I share with you every week, that poetry reads somewhere throughout the land. Take care. Everybody. Thank you very Thank much. You. Have a great Thank night. Thank you, sir. You too. Bye bye. <laughs> Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.